we're going to talk about something that we normally don't really touch upon. The other day, I was sitting next to my husband and we were somewhere and he knows how I feel about certain subjects and things that I like to watch and it popped up that CNN was having a special tonight about the Holocaust and the voices of Auschwitz were going to be on. I looked it up and that was when I realized that the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz is today. 70 years ago today, Auschwitz was liberated. I have some audio pieces that I want to share with you. And I want to share some other things with you first before I do that. When I was four or five years old, and I've shared this story before, so for some of you, you've, you've heard this before, and I apologize for the redundancy, but many of you have not. Uh, my father uh, was Jewish. My father is Jewish. My father's deceased. And his parents, my paternal grandmother and I, were very, very close. And she was an avid reader. She had a lot of books. But there was a shelf of books I was not allowed to touch. It was up high. I was told they were forbidden to look at. Well, of course, what do you do when you're four or five and you're told you can't touch? You move the coffee table over or the end table over or the chair so you can get up on the leg and you pull and pull and pull till you can get one of those books down. And I'll never forget what I saw. Like I said, I was only four or five years old. I was very young. But I saw a woman... And she had black letters on her chest that spelled whore. Now, I didn't know what whore was, the spelling of it at that age, or what it meant. But there was smoke kind of coming out of her chest because she had been branded whore. I flipped through the pages. I saw a man's beard on fire. I saw somebody else with a baseball bat hitting somebody. I saw people crying. I saw what looked like skeletons piled up. I saw very horrific things that no child, four or five, should see. I cried. I was scared. I brought the book to my grandmother, and I confessed what I had done. And it was that day that I do not forget, even as an adult, that I learned about the Holocaust. <clears throat> now, for people who are Jewish, you know I'm not considered a Jew except in the Reform Movement, but you know by Hitler's standards, I, I was considered a Jew. I was a Meichling. As a matter of fact, if you were a quarter Jewish, you were rounded up and placed in camps and killed in gas chambers and bodies, done away with in ovens, and many of those people were alive when they were still put in the ovens. There are some people that feel that the Holocaust was looked upon so differently when it was a span of six years as opposed to slavery, which was hundreds. Of course, there are people out there that deny the Holocaust ever existed. Well, I can tell you there are people in my family that survived. There are people in my family that were murdered. And I've met people with numbers on their arms and I've heard stories. I used to live in Miami, Florida. I started my talk radio career there. Women used to wear bracelets to hide the number. You could sometimes see it. As a waitress, I waited on somebody once, and I heard her story. And a woman named Frances Baker wrote a book called I Was There, and I interviewed her at length about her experiences. These people are real. 
My great-grandfather was from Poland, Warsaw. I have relatives who fought in the resistance, and Auschwitz is in Poland, and it's definitely on my list to visit. I have never seen a concentration camp, even though I have visited throughout the world and lived in many places in the world, and I want to see it. But there are those that tell their experiences, that they say you can still smell the death. You can hear the screams. And just to see how those people lived. My grandfather once told me that Hitler was a real idiot because in trying to do away with an entire race or group of religious of people, actually Jews are two races, the Sephardic are Ashkenazi, I am Ashkenazi, that Hitler actually strengthened the Jews. At the time of the Holocaust, there were 14 million Jews on the planet. He exterminated approximately 6 million of those murdered Jewish people, almost half. The only people that could have survived Auschwitz and the other concentration camps had to be very smart, very strong, or both. So in trying to kill them, he strengthened them. Today is the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Before I was a talk show host, I worked in radio as a disc jockey, and I did news, reporting, anchoring. I was working at a station called WFTL in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I was doing the overnight shift, and I could not stay up. I've never been able to work overnights. God bless those of you that do. One of my brothers does. It's hard. And I remember saying to my boss, I'm falling asleep after midnight. What do I do? And he said, as long as you play music, I don't care what you do after 11 o'clock at night. And then again at 5 in the morning, you got to stick to the format because there's no ratings then. Who's listening? Well, South Florida at the time had a 52% senior citizen rate, or 55%, oh, well over 50%. A lot of people still go there to retire. One night, which actually ended up changing my life, but I decided on a Holocaust Remembrance Day to do a Holocaust Remembrance broadcast after 11 when the music was done. I had a man who called you ever hear a person's voice and you can picture them? I do it all the time in radio. But at the time, I was very new to radio. And there was a man that called, and his name was George. George was a big guy. Six foot something, 200 and some pounds. George had been in the military. George had fought those damn Nazis. And George was one of the people who liberated Auschwitz. George says as a grown man, he described what he saw. He saw a skeleton like on Halloween, except the skeleton's mouth was moving and talking to him. He couldn't believe it was a human being. The mass graves, the bodies, the proximity of homes and shops, and the knowledge of the people around that this was happening who did nothing about it. He said when he liberated Auschwitz along with so many others, he really understood what he was fighting for at that moment. And he also said that he, a grown man, a tough guy, tough as nails, not a guy to ever cry, wept profusely. And so many other soldiers did. Some vomited, some fainted. And fell to their knees. 
Because one of the things I think I didn't understand what I was fully uncomfortable with as a child wasn't just the horror of the photos I had seen. It was the reality that a human being could do that to another human being. I think that reality and that horror strikes us when we watch ISIS behead somebody. I consider the Nazis to have been terrorists, much like ISIS today. I consider history something that we should and and can and should learn from. We should not oppress a people because of their religion, because they are different, because we don't understand them, or because of our ignorance. Now, no, there were no Germans going around as terrorists attacking buildings. But the Jews made up less than 1% of the population in Germany, yet Hitler was able to successfully convince the German people and much of not just Europe but the world that the Jews were responsible for the economic downfall of Germany, that they took all the jobs, education, etc. Based on a madman's anger, greed, and jealousy. I want to share, uh, guys, do we have time for one before we take a break or do we have to take a break? Well, I talked about people who have visited and visited Auschwitz. Wolf Blitzer of CNN described his visit to Auschwitz and the moment he realized his grandparents' uh, fate. Uh, Wolf Blitzer is a Jewish man. Um, let's uh, listen as he realized his parent, grandparents' fate. His grandparents were killed at the concentration camp Auschwitz. It haunts us to this very day. You just hear that word, Auschwitz, and you think of death. You smell the death when you're walking around. I'd read a lot about the Holocaust. I'd seen the movies. I've seen a lot of the pictures. Certainly, I knew what happened. But until you actually see the location, you see where it occurred, and you get a sense of the enormity of this crime, it's hard to believe that people can be as cruel as they clearly have been. 1.2 million people within a, you know, two or three years were slaughtered. And then when I went to Birkenau and saw the crematoria, the gas chambers, it'll stay with me for the rest of my life. It was a powerful, powerful moment. Auschwitz survivors went through hell and lost their parents and their grandparents and their sisters and brothers. We hear those stories. It is so, so moving to listen and to appreciate and to understand what these people had to endure. Back for a hug from my head. Eva Kor, when I think about what she and her sister had to endure, they were only 10 years old, taken to Dr. Josef Mengele for the most barbaric kinds of torture experiments. It's just so shocking. It's so horrible. And to believe that these were doctors, so-called doctors, this is a sick part of the Nazi history, sickest that you could even imagine. It's hard to believe that people could do this to other people. The parents were taken to the right. The older brothers and sisters were taken to the right. They went right to the gas chambers. When I first walked into that gas chamber, I thought about uh, my, my paternal grandparents, my dad's mom and dad. Uh, who were killed, probably in that gas chamber. I, I don't know for sure, but I know they were killed. They were murdered at Auschwitz and Birkenau. And I know that they probably were taken into that gas chamber. I don't know what, what was going through their mind. Did they know that this was going to be the end? 
I waited a long time. I could have gone many years earlier, but for some reason I didn't. I don't know why. On my dad's side, he grew up in the town of Auschwitz. He was born in Auschwitz. He grew up in that village, that town. And I walked around that town, and, you know, I couldn't believe how close it was. He himself was never taken to Auschwitz. They took him to a dozen other slave labor camps. I mean, I grew up hearing these stories. My parents were very open about their experiences. They never hid anything from me. But I finally went, but it was a powerful moment for me when you walked around those areas at Auschwitz and Birkenau, knowing the blood that's in the ground there. It wasn't until that moment that it hit me that my father's uh, parents were killed at Auschwitz. Powerful experience, something I'll never forget. Uh, and uh, I, I, like I said, I haven't seen it. I know it'll be powerful for me. I, I do want to hear from you this afternoon. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. The reality is that every year, less and less Holocaust survivors are alive. Once they're all gone, do you think it's going to be easier for those Holocaust deniers to get people to agree with their mindset? 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. And could another Holocaust happen? After 9-11, people talked about putting Muslims in concentration camps. Let's get to the calls. I'm Leslie Marshall's 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. And uh, asking you, more and more people are, are dying as years goes by that are, are survivors. Is it easier, do you think, for those Holocaust deniers to get members in their wacky fan club, if you will? 8886-LESLIE and... Is this possible that it could happen again? 888-653-7543. I'm not just talking about the, the Jews. To any religious group that is persecuted. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. Uh, let's go to Ralph in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Hi, Ralph. How you doing? Good afternoon. When I was a kid, went on vacation there, loved it, of course. <laughs> fond memories of Hershey. How you doing, Ralph? Good afternoon. I'm doing all right, and I have fond memories of fond memories of Northeastern, which I think you're familiar with. Yes, yes, I'm um, an alumni. Uh, as you may have been aware, even back in those days, there were deniers. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm surprised, given what they've gone through, that there would be any survivors left. Um, but I I think the deniers uh, are always going to be there. Uh, it, part of it is just the dark side of human nature, and as long as there are humans here, and lots of us, there will be some amount of deniers. I think with technology, um, people, you know, these types of things get out much quicker, and I think the reactions to them are equally as quick. Uh, so there will always be pushback on the deniers. Uh, I think also because the uh, there, there are not just the the 200 or, or so survivors now, but there are also their family members, you know, they're the kids of the survivors, the grandkids, the great-grandkids, and probably four generations uh, down now. Uh, there are a lot more uh, than just the survivors. So I, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, they will be around, but um, we should be able to handle them. And, and I'm a native of Germany. So it's it's been part of my heritage, you know, in terms of what went on in World War II. Uh, my mother was a, a young girl, a, a preteen during those years. Uh, my grandfather disappeared somewhere on the Eastern Front. And even those of us of German heritage um, recognize and, and we know that. 
World War II occurred, that Auschwitz occurred, that, you know. Hold on to that I, thought I just, because I, I just, want you to finish your, your point, Ralph. Hold on. So we'll be right back to you. Ralph and Hershey, hang on. Those of you holding, don't go away. And if you want to join me, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Talking about the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. We'll be back after that. Back to the calls. We were talking with... Ralph in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Ralph, thanks for holding and welcome back. Uh, you were talking about your family. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, Ralph's line dropped. Uh, Ralph, uh, the, the line just dropped. Give us a buzz back. We'll put you back in line. Eight 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 six Leslie. Let's go to line three. Michael in the Bronx up next. Michael, good afternoon. Hi, Leslie. How you doing? Good. I was listening to um, your monologue, and if I'm not mistaken, you, know, you can't. Um, hit on a pretty big main word, and that was humanitarian. And how can one person be so cruel to another human being? And when I hear about the 70th anniversary, I'm saying to myself, 70 years ago? And when I look at what's going on today, not just in the world, but in this nation, and the hatred going on, not just religious, but Racism and sexism, it, it comes down to the key thing, human beings, and how people forget that one person is not different from the other, regardless of skin color, regardless of religion. We're all supposed to be good to one another, living in pretty much peace and harmony and in love. That's how everyone succeeds together, how, that's how everyone gets along. And how many times have I said, regardless of skin color, people bleed the same color? Uh, no, I know. You know what you're talking about, Michael, is that we have history to reference, yet yeah. we don't learn from it. That's, thank you, thank you. We bring up history after the fact, mm-hmm. but we don't learn from it. All right, anything else? No, I think that sums it up really well. I mean, look, like you said, this was 70 years ago. I hate to think what could happen 70 years from now, even after perhaps you and I are long gone. How, won't people learn their lesson and learn from the big mistakes that they make towards one another? All right. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate the call. Good afternoon. Appreciate that. Let's go to Paul in Washington, line four. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Good afternoon. Hi, Leslie. Um my my mother's mother, my grandmother, came from Germany in 1925, and uh, she never, grandma never talked to me about Germany. But of course, I got this from my mom that she, grandma said that Hitler and all his fervor was getting you know stirred up even then. Of course, he had written Mein Kampf at that time; he had been in prison. But the whole the whole fervor of Hitler was getting worked up really eight years or even ten years before he was elected prime chancellor of Germany with a 13% voter turnout. First lesson of the, uh, of the day, 13% voter turnout elected Hitler prime chancellor in January of 1933. Second thing is the death camps, the Jewish death camps, none of them were in Germany. I don't think any of them were. I mean, Auschwitz was in Poland. And I, you asked the question. Could, no, well, no, no, no. Dachau is in Munich, outside of Munich. But 
I thought most of them were outside because... Uh, yeah, most of the camps were outside of Germany because what they wanted is they wanted Germany to be a Jew-free nation. Right, but the, the camps that were in Germany, and if that was a... If the one you mentioned was turned into a death camp because some of the camps that were in Germany, those were political camps. Yeah, there were, were political, political camps. There were also labor camps. Right. And um, that, But many some of the labor camps then became... Uh, originally, Sobibor was supposed to be a labor camp, and that changed. But there are other there are other camps where they were labor camps where people die because of the you know horrific conditions. Right, the but the, of the, the the guy that Hitler had appointed to solve the quote Jewish problem and quote Himmler. was yeah was uh, he, he his idea was to get all of the Jews out of Germany and right. do all of this nasty work outside of Germany. Well, what I never understood is it really I've never understood this. If you want your country to, you know, be rid of the Jews. Mm-hmm. One of the things I never understood is there was a time where Jews left that had heard about this, you know, and then there were others that were like, "Oh, you're, you know, smoking crack around a grassy knoll." And uh, they would never do that to us. My grandfather fought for this country. Or my father's a, you know, very prominent physician or professor or musician. The list goes on. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then, of course, it did start happening. But before that, there was a period of time where after Jews were allowed to leave, even though they weren't told that this was going to take place, that they prevented the Jews from leaving. They prevented them from traveling and they prevented them from leaving the country. And I could never understand that because it's like if you're trying to read your country from, uh, you know, of the Jews, this evil that you feel exists mm-hmm. among these people, let them leave. Well, y- yeah, um... But the one thing I wanted to point out because of your question of could this happen again, I think, and I, when I say that the, the death camps were outside of Germany, I want people to think, oh, Guantanamo, uh, torture, we've done this. We've done something similar, and Islam is the enemy now for the United States. And when you start lining things up together about small voter turnout, People, there are people in this country, I know there are, because I listen to enough talk radio who would like to get rid of all the blacks. Yeah. They'd like to get rid of all the gays and the lesbians, and they'd like to, they'd like to kill all the Muslims in this Look, country. Look, I've, I've had three people block me in three seconds when I asked, why when German Nazis murdered Jews, we didn't blame Germans, but when Islamic terrorists murder people, we blame Muslims. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And they block, they block me and call me an idiot. Right. Because because they, they, they want to justify their hatred toward one group in the present. You know what I mean? Um, and it, it, just like after Timothy McVeigh, you know, bombed Oklahoma and 168 people died in the federal building. You know, we didn't hate, you know, we didn't say, oh, God, you know, we've got to stop. We've got to be leery of these Christians. Right. I know we're on it. Let me point one more thing out about, about Nazi Germany. And the Blitzkrieg was a battlefield tactic that was developed by German generals that was supposed to, uh, whatever, uh, cut down or, or, or reduce the number. Because the World War One, the battlefield, the trench wars were so horrific. The Blitzkrieg was supposed to make warfare somewhat more palatable and, not, and sort of kill less people, kill, kill fewer people. So it was, again, a mentality of this is how we'll do it to actually make things cleaner. And so whenever I hear... American military people talk like that. I think, uh huh. It's this is just a, it's it's just putting lipstick on a pig to quote one of our favorite. Uh, I won't mention her name, but um, you know. So these things are not they're not new, and they weren't new then, and they're still around. But people, I, I think that uh, when we listen to people, our politicians talk, we have to 
You have to realize that Hitler and his cohorts, they didn't think they were doing bad. They thought they were doing good. You know, they had, when you justify things so much in your mind, you don't think that you're doing bad. But I think we all have to you know, take a look at how tactics get, get uh, really blown out of shape. And like I said, my grandmother's family, my grandmother and my great-grandmother, they recognized years before Hitler was voted into office that things were going that way, and that's how they, got, that's how they came here. And that's uh, how I was born here, honestly, probably, right? Right, right. So. All right, Paul, well, at least you're a realist on that one. Uh, Paul, appreciate the call. Uh, you know, thank you for uh, joining us, and have a great afternoon. Let's go to Tashira in Massachusetts, line one. Love your name. It's very pretty. Hi, good afternoon, Tashira. What do you say? Um, hi, Leslie. Yeah, I wanted to throw in something kind of interesting on the whole genocide question. Um, actually, genocide has gone on for way longer than the Holocaust, which is really awful when you think about it. Right before the Holocaust was the Armenian genocide, where the Turks tried to wipe out the Armenians, which even when I was in college in the 1980s, there were Turkish groups trying to deny that. And they were saying, oh, no, we didn't kill the Armenians. And they were, like, protesting that they were being picked on for killing the Armenians, and then there was all this proof. And I don't even think, I'm not 100% sure of this, but I think the Turkish government has not yet apologized to the Armenians for um, killing a whole bunch of them. In they the, do uh, not recognize the Armenian Holocaust as or Armenian genocide as a genocide. And I, I know a lot about this, honestly, because uh, the area that I live in, in California, there are a large, large number of Armenians in yeah. Glendale, not where I live, not far from where I live has uh, one of the largest concentration of Armenians in the United States. And yes, this has not been recognized, not only by Turkey, it technically hasn't been recognized by the United States either because of our political relationship with, right. with Turkey. And we're back before I play more audio. Tashira in Massachusetts had uh, another comment to make. Go ahead, Tashira, finish up. Thanks for holding. Um, yes, hi. Yeah, I just wanted to um, say that, um, again, that this sort of imperialistic impulse toward genocide is unfortunately something that's been with human nature for millennia. In a lot of languages, the word for stranger and the word for enemy are related, and in some languages they're actually the same word, unfortunately. People distrust the stranger, they distrust the other. But I think we might be less likely, hopefully, to have another Holocaust of this sort because of our mass media now. Uh, frankly, you couldn't have, like, Hitler or Himmler getting away with something like this now because there's going to be people with cell phone cameras. Well, wait, 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 wait. I disagree. Really? I disagree. Yes, I disagree. You know what? Come on. North Korea. Oh, that's true. They keep uh, the, 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 the terrorist in Islam. Yeah. The guys at Charlie Abdo. I, I mean, for crying out loud, yeah. not just cameras. They, they, they're glad to have the cameras. They, oh, they're beheading true. people with the cameras. Yeah, but rolling. you can also use it against them. Like they well, don't care. They're not going to sit through any court of law. Oh, they're going to they're going to eat their gun. Oh, you bummed me out now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm thinking, sorry. This is this. Yeah. I'm sorry. People, you yeah. know, said that, you know, people said that, you know, what happened to JFK couldn't have happened. Absolutely yeah. could have happened. Yeah, that's true. You There's know, always somebody that will look at the video in a certain way. Yeah. There's all, you, you know what I mean? I'll say I, it was doctor. I'm not something. trying to be, I'm not trying to be the naysayer here, but ser- you know, seriously. No, I know what you mean. They could say Let, let me doctor. tell you something. You want to know how serious I am? I, I swear to God. I've mentioned before that my husband come, was raised in a Muslim family, and yeah. he doesn't practice Islam, and he was born in the United States. Yeah. However, after 9-11, when we had hate threats, because my real last name is not Marshall, that's my father's middle name, but after hate, uh, you know, nasty 
threats to our home oh. and you know thing you know and things yeah. like you know that just people finding us in the phone book now That's we awful. are now we are enlisted the, the the many things I did after the day after 9/11 but one of the things I did do was I called my, called my husband's office and I fully expected that everybody would have canceled their appointments yep and only one did and he rescheduled simply because he couldn't get there he couldn't get out of work for his appointment or something like that he couldn't get the lunch hour and I was shocked and I was so proud of my fellow human beings uh, for not, you know, being that way. But I am not kidding you. After 9-11, my husband and I looked at real estate in another country yeah. to buy, to flee in case of a Muslim holocaust oh, there as opposed is to a Jewish prejudice. I'm not saying there's not horrible prejudice, but I'm just wondering if there was somebody hidden, like if there were two dudes like Hitler and Himmler sitting there saying, oh, let's take all the Muslims and throw them in these ovens, you know, if they were doing that now. No, because those meetings wouldn't be, no, those meetings would be private and because things are being said like that now. I mean, Ahmadinejad said that the Holocaust didn't exist. Yeah. You know, I I, I mean, you know, the fact that Iran is referring to Israel as a Zionist state and the fact that today on Twitter that Jews hating Palestinians is okay, Palestinians hating Jews is wrong. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm sorry. It's unfortunate there are people that hate, and like they said, the other can be considered an enemy. But I do wonder if the, the Internet and the media for the younger people, because I know there are kids online. They're chatting with people in other countries. You're making friends. Somebody in England can be friends with an aborigine in Australia because they're online. They, I think some of the borders may be dissolving with the younger generation, and by that I mean like people under 30. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope that you know the world is multi more multicultural. Our country is more multicultural. I hope that people uh, realize that. Thank you for your call. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And have a good afternoon. We're going to play, uh, guys. Uh, do I? I have time for both, right? Um, let's. Uh, let th- this is uh, Martin Greenfield. He uh, tailored suits for at least three presidents, as well as other notable politicians and celebrities. He was a survivor of the Holocaust. He was at Auschwitz. He describes his time there. And that's where he discovered the importance of dressing nicely. He authored the book Measure of a Man, From Auschwitz Survivor to President's Taylor. Here is Martin Greenfield. I dressed a lot of people here. The first suit going back to Eisenhower, Clinton, Mayor Bloomberg, Ed Koch. The best dressed people are dressed by me. It was Passover in 1938, where we had the big dinner. The second day before we ate, the Germans and the Hungarians occupied us. They surrounded the house. They gave us one hour to clear out. Every Jew was on the street, and they took us all away to a ghetto. We arrived to Auschwitz in a cattle car. It was a horror trip. We stayed the whole night. They didn't open up for the air, and there was no bathrooms, nothing. When we walked out, you see the, the gates to get into the camp. You saw Mengele, guy who made decisions, who lives, who dies. The only thing I remember about Mengele, I looked at his boots, and I saw my picture. They were so shiny. They make you naked. They shave my head, and everything all over and then they tattooed first my father then me and they gave us the stripes 
some kind of a shoes, no socks, no underwear. Before we were separated, my father said, if we don't survive, honor us by living, not by crying. I was 14 years old, never swam again. They put me in the tailor shop. That's when I didn't know anything about tailoring. I was a kid. And I said, I can't sew. What should I do here? He says, well, you could wash the shirt for the Gestapo, take a brush and take soap and rub it till it's clean. It was so dirty that I kept on rubbing it till it ripped up. Then it's a little problem because tomorrow he's coming for the shirt. He came to pick it up. He said, who ripped the shirt? Me ripped the shirt. So he gave me a little beating, but he threw the shirt at me. So then I asked the tailor, can you show me how to fix the collar so I could have a shirt? Nobody has a shirt. He says, I'll fix you a shirt. So I put it on. You're supposed to go through the back. I go to the front way where I'm not supposed to. He never stopped me. It taught me something, how important it is to be dressed right. It had a big influence on me. My name is Martin Greenfield, and I survived Auschwitz, and I'm happy about it. Unbelievable, huh? Unbelievable. Well, we didn't have uh, time to share Elizabeth Lefkowitz's uh, description of her time at Auschwitz. She lost 87 members of her family at that concentration camp. A little girl by the name of Anne Frank, whose diary I and many other people read, somebody I had identified with as a little girl. She uh, died in uh, 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 Birkenau, Bergen-Belsen, uh, part of Auschwitz. Auschwitz was a main camp, and then there became so many uh, that they um, had more and more. One of the reasons there are survivors to talk today is not only because they believed they needed to live to tell this story. Some of them just had that determination and that will to live. The mental uh, ability, the bravery, the strength. Not everyone did. Certainly harder for an elderly person to go through such physical conditions. Not to mention to be stripped of your dignity. Women being made to strip in front of complete strangers and men, women being raped. Babies being suffocated after being born in barracks by other women so that the Nazis wouldn't shoot the whole barracks if a woman became impregnated or was pregnant when she came into the camp and wanted to live and hid her bump, hid her pregnancy when she got off that train. But there are those that also lived because of the extraordinary bravery, heroic acts and kindness of others. I know there are different versions of his story, but some would say Schindler is one of those. Corey Temboom is another one of those. And there are so many, and so many without names that we know, of men, women, families that risk their own lives to save the lives of others. I hope we have more of those people in the world today than we did then. Because instead of talking about half of that group of people, religion and race, Jews who survived, we would have been talking about more, perhaps. 
I'm Leslie Marshall. 